Hello, everyone. <clears throat> Ooh, excuse me. Great. Get those cobwebs out. We have to go back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And on this episode, it's a family affair because we are reviewing the 1991 movie, The Addams Family. I think we decided it's never too late to celebrate a Christmas movie during Halloween. Yeah, secret Christmas movie. I, I mean, it works for Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. Uh, why not You know, keep it going? Yeah. There's so much history on the Adams family. Uh, it's first been around off, forever. Yeah. The the name, it's the Adams, not a po- like not Adam, plural s. It's like they are the Adams. The plural of Adams family would be the Adamses family. Uh, that blew my yeah. mind. Yeah, it's not possessive apostrophe, which you would think it would be because of their you know macabre. Um, <laughs> we're going to give you a little bit of history of the Adams family as a. Whole, and then we are going to get into the history of the movie. So let's start back in 1938, where American cartoonist Charles Adams created the Adams Family as a comic, and he made over a hundred different individual comics that were in the New Yorker. Like the Adams Family started as a comic panel in the New Yorker, and always following the. Adams family, including Gomez, Morticia, Adams, their children, Wednesday, and Pugsley, with close family members, Uncle Fester, and Grandmama, their butler, Lurch, and Pugsley's pet octopus, Aristotle. The dimly seen thing was introduced in 1954, so thing wasn't even a part of the original family, and thing was actually like a thing. Uh, you only ever saw like a hand of thing, but thing was so ambiguously like horrendous. Um, it was very MacGuffin-y because you never actually saw a thing. Oh, you just catch glimpses for like, oh, that was part of thing. Yes. Oh, oh. The big thing with the huh, pun always intended. The, the big thing with the Adams family is that they are always an inversion of the ideal American nuclear family. Uh, They are a seemingly wealthy clan of borderline supernatural beings with a taste for the grotesque and macabre. Yeah, it's like leave it to Beaver if it was leave it to Cleaver. (laughs) Oh, that's... Grayson, get that domain! Get me a post-it note. Uh, and the Adams family always possess opinions and preferences that are mirror images or inversions of more conventional attitudes. Uh, but they never see themselves as anything other than a perfectly normal family. And so with their popularity in the comics, they then were adapted into a TV show uh, that broadcast on ABC in 1964 to 1966, starring John Aston as... Uh, Gomez and Carolyn Jones as Morticia. Uh, and it was one of the last network series filmed entirely in black and white, uh, which, mm. you know, most people assume that that was intentional due to their uh, stylistic, uh, you know, aesthetic. And so uh, it wasn't really a successful show. I mean, it only lasted for two years, but it became a cult favorite 
in syndication and inspired many spinoff medias, including an animated series in the 70s, which I was aware of because when uh, they did Scooby-Doo Goes to the Movies, Scooby-Doo one time met up with the Addams Family. So the Addams wow. Family cartoon in the 70s was a Hanna-Barbera show where um, the actor who played Gomez uh I keep on wanting to say Sean Astin. It's not. It's John <laughs> Very Astin. Very different show. Yeah. Uh, with John Astin reprising his role of Gomez in pretty much all of the animated series um, here on forward. Then we came to the revival of The Addams Family, which was in movie form. And that is what we are reviewing today. The 1991 movie Addams Family originally got its inspiration when, uh, you know, p- producers and were just carpooling like you do in the 90s. Mm-hmm. One of their kids in the car started singing the Adams Family theme song, and everyone just started singing along. And he said, I have an idea. Let's do this. <laughs> and originally, of course, you know who you're going to get to direct it. You're going to get the guy who just made a bunch of money making Batman, Tim Burton. And so uh, Tim Burton was actually offered this movie first, but uh, he passed, uh, which boggles my mind. I need there to be an investigative documentary as to why would he pass on this. But uh, it was later given to Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh, and this was his directorial debut because he had experience as a cinematographer on films like Big, oh, wow. Raising Arizona, When Harry Met Sally, other flashback flicks, uh, movies that we've reviewed, except for Raising Arizona, which I assume we will review in the future. And then after this, he directed Adam's Family Values, The Men in Black Trilogy, and of course, Wild Wild West. Because he certainly has a type. The film had a lot of trouble during uh, development, mostly with securing the rights, because there were a lot of things from the original comic uh, that were different than the things that were from the TV show, largely being The Thing. In the original TV show, Thing only lived inside of a box and was a hand, and they that was an adaptation for the tv show instead of it being this kind of working around the limitations of what yeah exactly yeah and pugsley um had a different name um pubert the name of the new baby adams from the adams family values sequel was actually pugsley's original name most of the cast's names were changed for television because pubert in the 1960s was considered to be uh too obscene for television mm, and so then they time. went with pugsley <laughs> so yeah. uh so mostly with the movie the obstacle was securing the rights um barry sonnenfeld really having a lot of breakdowns directing this movie uh they went five million dollars over budget oh uh, that's just a bit yeah, yeah you know yeah, uh, yeah. And like halfway through production, the movie got sold from Orion to Paramount. Just like in the movie. <laughs> they, they took a huge gamble on this movie. They did not know how it was going to do. Uh, but with a budget of $30 million, it went on to be very commercially successful to the snapping tune of over $190 million worldwide. Wow. Uh, this movie then spun off a sequel. Adam's Family Values, released in 1993, um, as well as a animated series that I remember watching uh, 
on Saturday mornings, and I loved it. There were originally plans to actually have a third Adams Family movie, um, but unfortunately, in 1994, we had the passing of the very iconic actor who played Gomez, Raul Julia. Um, and they decided to then kind of do a soft reboot of the series with a direct-to-video film starring Tim Curry and Daryl Lynn Hannah with almost an entirely recasted uh, Adams Family uh, that was originally planned to be a impetus for a new live-action TV series, uh, which only lasted for one season. So just to keep you up to speed... <laughs> They this movie was so successful that they tried to reboot itself in 1998 uh, with Tim yeah. Curry as Gomez. The Adams family has had a profound influence in just American pop culture. Uh, according to the Telegraph, the Adamses are one of the most iconic families in America, uh, up there with the Kennedys. And they said oh. that in the Telegraph. I was going to say Brady's, but mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. all right, all right. You you kind of had this dynamic where you had the Brady Bunch and the Partridge family, and right. then the Adams family and the Munsters, mm -hmm. and I feel like they were the the inverse of that that quadrangle there. Oh um, yeah, but yeah, there it's iconic. It's uh, it's part of you know television history forever, and uh, I'm glad that they're still making new movies. Oh, absolutely. Like, so I watched this movie. Like, I we own this VHS. I'm almost positive. What a I've weird sentence. Why would you say that? <laughs> I owned it. Oh, I own this VHS. That's like uh, the kind of line you say it as a vocal warm-up. <laughs> I own this VHS. I own this VHS. <laughs> uh, and, and like, for a while, it was just this – a movie that I – saw regularly enough but i after watching it for this podcast i was like have i never seen the first two-thirds of this movie because the thing i remember the most is of course the thing uh thing running across town like lassie sent for help uh going across town going through traffic jumping through all these little random hoops and spelling out things with the cereal and the spoon the movie begins there for me <laughs> Oh wow! Uh, maybe also the mamushka, but like I remember that onward and none of the setup. The whole Uncle Fester thing. I was like, why is this the, feel like the first time I'm ever hearing this? And I was very confused. So it was really fun to like actually watch from that point forward uh, because turns out this movie has a beginning and a middle. Yeah, that sounds like a YMCA issue. <laughs> I feel like they just were picking up from where the tape had stopped the day All right. before. Right here. Yeah. Let's just pick it up from there. For me, this this movie, well, and the entire property, I would say, I don't really separate this movie from the entire Adams family. Family. I was in trouble like two words in. Um, <laughs> because to me, the property, the intellectual property of the Adams family is core to my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um I thought we had already reviewed this movie just because I've watched it so many times. I didn't know if I watched it for this or just for fun. Turns out it was just for fun. The issue I have, though, is I always mix up what happens between Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values mm -hmm. uh, because I typically, when I watch one, I watch them together. Um, just make it a double feature. Um, but this, this 
really does mean uh, a lot to me. And as a kid, I was obsessed. So you mentioned the the animated TV shows. I, I watched relentlessly, uh, and the the more updated one from the. Uh, after the movies came out, I remember it was a, a double feature uh, with the animated Beetlejuice show. So that was that was everything I was about. And um, that should tell you about kind of what kind of little kid I was that I was these these were the properties that I was surrounding myself with, but it was the I watched the classic show as a little kid. I like oh, yeah. I was watching the classic show. Um, I think it came on before the monkeys on, on TV land. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I would watch the animated shows, these movies. Uh, I had the action figures. Um, I really did. I have vivid memories of carrying around my uncle Fester. I had the whole family, but uncle Fester in particular was my favorite. Um, Morticia was cool, but she would never stand up. Like she, their base was too narrow. And so she'd always fall over. Yep. But Uncle Fester was solid, and he, you could push his head down into his trench coat, and then you'd squeeze his legs, and it'd pop up like it, like it was an explosion, and That's he you know, was accessorized with dynamite. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in hindsight, creepy little toy for a creepy little kid, um, but they were some of my favorites, and I, I absolutely uh, just surrounded myself with Adam's Family stuff, um, and... Th- Amongst all that, though, my absolute favorite aspect of the Adams Family property is the Nintendo game. Oh. Um, so there's an Adams Family Nintendo game. I think it was on NES. Um, and so this NES game, I never owned it because I didn't have an NES, but my aunt and uncle did, which meant once a year, as we join for a family, my family, the cousins specifically, would sequester ourselves to the to the entertainment room and for as, as quickly as we could, for the chunk of time that we had, we would try to get further in the Adams Family game than we had the previous year. Wow. So it was really just picking up on this, this game for one night a year uh, and getting to explore. And the game was great. Uh, I mean, in my six-year-old brain, it was great. Um, I haven't played it really since then. But I uh, remember you would go through the house and kind of find members of the family that had been trapped in different parts of the house, like in the conservatory and things like that. And uh, it, it was, uh, it was. I mean, well-constructed. I felt like, again, I, I don't know. I was a little kid, but... Um, I have very fond memories of trying to beat this this game. We never beat it um, because oh. we we always had to go home, um, you know, back to until Grandpa's house today. Until today, till this Christmas, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was just a really fun, straightforward game where you you're you're basically playing against the house, you know, like Vegas. Um, but it was uh, uh, that to me it kind of was the culmination of it because I was playing the Adams family with my family and they were just some of the, that's honestly some of my favorite Christmas memories is playing the Adams family game. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I have ever acknowledged how big an Adams family fan 
I was until this podcast. And then it kind of pulled the layers back. And I realized, like with the Beetlejuice thing, that I I grew up in a very specific pocket of <laughs> pop culture as a child that I think formed my brain in a very specific way. And I was like, oh, yeah, what, what, what was I really into? I was into, you know, Adam's Family, mm-hmm. The Munsters, mm-hmm. uh, Edward Scissorhands, Casper, and then later, like, Sleepy Hollow, Beetlejuice, all that. And basically anything Tim Burton, Winona Ryder, or Christina Ricci, I was, like, I was in that world. And it's this, like, dark, stylized, uh, with the right amount of bizarre feel to it. Uh, it's just off enough. And uh, I think that fandom extended into my love of a series of unfortunate events, which I didn't realize till I was doing the research for this, was executive produced by, wait for it, director Barry Sonnenfeld from this movie. Uh, So it really brought it full circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I, I don't know what that did to my my brain and my soul to surround myself with that stuff for, for so long, but I love it. I really do. And, um, this is like a very specific genre that, and I know I'm not alone in this. Like I've waited in line at, at the haunted mansion at Disneyland. I know that there are a bunch of people that, that dig this style of thing. Um, and I'm just glad that we get to get to review it and get to kind of like, live in this world for just a bit. I also think that my love of Uncle Fester, because that's like a weird character for a kid to really latch onto. Um, My love of Uncle Fester, though, I really think was because the only other place I'd gotten to see Christopher Lloyd was Back to the Future uh, and Taxi Reruns. Um, But I feel like the picture I'm painting of the television I watched as a kid is all over the place. People like... (laughs) I might be 60, I might be 18. Um, and uh, But I, I think that there is an intrigue to, to fester in the movie too. And so that's why this movie specifically being so much about Uncle Fester, I just love this movie yeah. and, um, and I love the journey. So yeah. And, and I think what I ultimately got out of this that I didn't realize before was um, how much I wish I had Morticia's ability to always find my eye light. <laughs> yeah, it's a skill. L- listen, when you're Morticia, the eye light finds you. Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh, <laughs> the light that, works for you. That ribbon of light just everywhere she was was just amazing. Here's the thing I realized, like, again, I, I feel like I have not seen a majority of this movie, even though I watched it a ton growing up. Um, th- there, are, there are a couple of things I noticed. One, I will never be loved the way that... Gomez and Morticia love each other. It's just, it's just a fact um, that I, I've never. They just, their love and their passion is, it's, it's, awe It's over the top. I, I, I've always known it was over the top though, because they really play it up in the animated series. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's like they really lay it on thick. And I remember as a kid just being like, this seems like a lot. <laughs> They just have such a great dynamic, and it's so well executed. One of my favorite lines in this movie is between the two of them when uh, they walk into the the ballroom, and he says, Tish, how long has it been since we've waltzed? She says, oh, Gomez, 
hours. <laughs> it's yeah, that's such a great like summary of their relationship that they're so about each other that yes. it's uh it, it's yeah, you can't help but just be happy for them. Absolutely. And so because I didn't remember the whole, you know, uh Uncle Fester storyline, mm-hmm. um originally I was like, okay, so is he an imposter and then like they're just going to adopt him as the new uncle fester which apparently was the original plan uh barry sonfeld oh. said that uh, gordon wasn't supposed to have been fester all along but still an imposter um though the family would accept them because in sonnenfeld's words family isn't about blood it's about love um to which the rest of the cast said no thank you I think the better quote is family isn't about blood. It's about a lot of blood. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> a family that sheds blood together <laughs> has an alibi. Um, so <laughs> Blood, sweat, tears, and blood. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but so then they actually uh, convinced uh, Christina Ricci to plead to Barry Sonnenfeld to make it uncle fester like the real uncle fester it's a stronger choice too because oh, yeah. it's about coming home and so i feel like i get the, i get the motivation behind the other one but it is kind of a weird swap <clears throat> and i think in the back of your head if you're a fan of the other versions of adam's family then this is kind of you know back there like yeah but he's not the real uncle fester right um so yeah that was a good move to to switch it and um, and another thing that I thought was really interesting about this movie, and I found this out in the research, the thing being a disembodied hand, um, like to the degree that it is in this movie, this mm-hmm. movie piloted because, like I mentioned a little bit before, um, thing always existed inside of a box, like a little right, box, just yeah. like a little hand kind of crawling out and like changing the clock or or whatever. Um, just showing up around the house and doing different quirky thing things. Um, yeah. Things I found out is that Thing's full name is Thing T Thing. Um, What's the T stand for? Um, I think it's Theodore. Um, oh, then, well, it's not a T on my planet, so. On my uh, planet, it's a symbol of macabre. Um, and, but yeah, for the sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and for the trilogy, Christopher Hart played Thing all through it. And I'm not going to go through his whole IMDb. I'm going to leave that to you. This is one of the brief moments of homework that we're yep. throwing out. Look up Christopher Hart's IMDb. Only hands. He's Only, a hand actor. It is like, I, I'm just so envious of his IMDb because you just look at it and it's like, he did it perfectly. He, he did everything because the effects of the thing or not the thing. That's a different property. Uh, the effects of thing just being a disembodied hand. There are several times where I'm looking at it. I'm like, how how did they do this? Mm-hmm. And them making thing come out of the box and move around was a big um, signifier of this movie. And th- another contribution that this movie got to make to the Adams Family franchise. Because I only ever associate thing with just walking around and doing a bunch of crazy little things just the way like if they made a home improvement movie and then all of a sudden you saw wilson's face and you're like okay all right right. these rules are different okay (laughs) 
I will say this movie has some of the best product placement I've ever seen. Uh, kudos what to Tombstone. What do you want on your tombstone? The framing of that shot. Was and they're one like, of we don't want to be in the background. We want to be the background. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot packed into that lemonade scene as well, too. The Girl Scout, uh, Mercedes McNabb. She, uh, I don't know if she looked familiar to you. She looked familiar to me. She would grow up to play Harmony on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the crossover Angel, um, which leads us to say she certainly has a type. Has a type. Um, but my second favorite line after the waltz line in this, uh, are they made from real Girl Scouts? Uh, nailed it, Christina Ricci. Nailed it. I think that's what they did. I think after that one scene, they said, okay, so we need a sequel, uh, and we need more Wednesday Adams. We just yeah. need Wednesday Adams interacting with so many more people and just uh, destroying all of the expectations of what a little child will be saying to people. Uh, so good. Yeah, if I had a co-favorite with Uncle Fester, it's Wednesday. Uh, yeah. Easy. Um, and so... Yeah, because in the second one, I believe that uh, if I'm remembering correctly and not getting them all mixed up, they go to camp, and so it becomes mm-hmm. much more oh, yes. about Wednesday. And uh, I think they knew Christina Ricci was going places, and they were like, "This will play well in the future." Um, yes. And they're right; they're yeah. they're very right. Uh, so I one of the last little things that I thought was really interesting was like Christopher Lloyd uh, was not the first choice for Uncle Fester. And you're gonna laugh. Anthony Hopkins was the first choice, wow. and he turned it down no. so he could do Silence of the Lambs. That's uh, probably and he won a good an Oscar. career move. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he said, hmm. I already did all this character research. <laughs> I guess I can incorporate it. Right? It's just like, hmm, how close will these studios be to each other? Maybe I could work something out. The only thing that would make that story better is if Christopher Lloyd turned down Silence of the Lambs to do <laughs> Adam's Family. They just want some fava beans. Perfect casting. <laughs> oh. oh, I I just kind of always remember the Adam's Family being around as like a pop cultural reference mm. in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, when they travel to feudal era Japan, one Say of no the more. one of the lines. No, go on. <laughs> one of the lines that they say is, "You're expecting the Adams family," like that. Like Always. They, yeah. the, <laughs> the fact that the Ninja Turtles are using the Adams family as a pop culture reference is just yeah. that to me that solidifies how universally they are seen and how fixated they are in pop culture and how. Anyone can sing along to the theme song um, and uh, just uh, created by Vic Mizzy, by the way. Uh, so iconic, too, that they they let him design the opening titles to the t- the original TV show because they were like, this song is everything. Um, I, I watched a great interview where they're asking, like, the inspiration for the for all this, where did it come from? I, like creepy and they're kooky. All the, like, where, where did that come from? And he goes. It all comes from here. And he just taps his head. It's like, <laughs> it's so good. You're a legend, Vic Mizzy. Um, and I like how much of that they infused into this as well. You can tell that the creators of this really loved and respected the source material. Um, and there are tons of Easter eggs, too. Both old and new. Like, uh, I've seen this movie tons of times. 
I don't think it really sunk in um, until this viewing just how many gloves are in things, sad little eviction wagon, <laughs> stuff like that just makes yeah. it makes the world feel real in, in all the right ways. Absolutely. I think another one of my favorite parts of the Adam family is like all their little like how big and like decorated their house is like they had a little finger trap uh, that they <laughs> bought back. That thought was yeah. amazing. Like $50,000. Yeah. I think a better thing to auction off, though, would uh-huh. be a head cannon. Head cannon. <laughs> head cannon is a part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie based on evidence provided by the film. Uh, oh. So so here's here's the thing. The Adams Family is already so far out there. It was very difficult for me to find uh, like legitimate head cannon. See, I'm like, I find it freeing, though. Like, really anything goes. It can be justified. And so uh, my biggest piece of headcanon is that um, this kind of takes place in the same universe as Halloween Town. Um, Because basically, like, they see nothing wrong with anything that they're doing. Um, They they think that they were just a normal American family kind of thing. And I would believe that that's where they originally hailed from, um, from Halloween Town. And they just are... Those people. So it's more like Halloween Tin Abbey. Lurch would I be a downstairs, I, I suppose. If I love it. Yeah. 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 I want to see Lurch deliver all of Alfred's lines from Dark Knight and the subsequent trilogy. Just being I like, failed you. I promise to protect you. And I haven't done that. Originally, uh, Lurch yeah. was supposed to be mute. Um, but oh. in the TV show, Lurch improvised. The actor who played Lurch improvised the line. You rang. Nailed it. And that was and that was history in the making. Yeah, it's iconic. The the actor that played Lurch in this movie, um, uh, he is similar to I guess similar to Christopher Hart, only doing hands. Uh, his name. I'm going to hold on just a second. It's a weird name. Oh, yeah. It's, I think it's Frankenstein. Oh, sorry. What were you, what were you going to say? Karel Struken um, or Carl Struken uh, from the Netherlands. But he um, uh, plays, I mean, he's very tall. And so he's made a career out of playing these incredibly tall characters, kind of like Kevin Peter Hall from Harry and the Hendersons. It was like, that was his niche. Or like, in this, you get Christopher Hart, who only does hand rolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the fact that they could all find each other for this movie, I think is really, really special. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, that kind of leads me to another headcanon, um, which is, do you remember the the Bewitched um, or Bewitched? Uh, movie with yeah. Will Ferrell, the whole premise being oh the movie. Sorry, no, I only again I only watched the original TV show. Right, of course. Uh, uh, so as I sipped my tea and put my uh, my, my feet up on the ottoman, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, which had actual animal claws on it. I assume. And yeah, it kept scurrying away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah uh, it's kind of like uh, if the writer of Beauty and the Beast stayed up for. Three straight days. Yeah. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, yes, Bewitched. So I remember Bewitched. The, yeah. So in Bewitched, the whole premise was that, oh, yeah, let's revive Bewitched. And it turns out that Nicole Kidman, who plays um, 
the title character uh, Bewitched, um, she is an actual witch, and that's how they do all the magic things. Oh, um, that's convenient. That is the headcanon for this, is that, um, you know, like, oh, yeah, let me audition for this role of Lurch or Cousin It or Thing. I'm using a ton of air quotes. Um, it's just basically... Call those like, thing quotes. Thing yeah. quotes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's that's how you know thing raises the roof. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, I like that. That this is a movie within the movie, and they're all just like that. This is the yeah. real Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. This. Yeah. It all makes sense. So for my head canon, I've always kind of wondered this about the Adams family is where they exist on kind of the the mortal spectrum you know what i mean because they're doing very dangerous stuff and like catching swords in their mouths that should have just you know gone through out the back of their head they blow each other up things like that and so it's like yeah it seems like they can't die or that some of them seem like they've already died and the bermuda triangle stuff seems very real so um In my opinion, I've always held that the Adams family are kind of in between living and dead. Um, Mm. They're not like full on Beetlejuice, which I think has a pocket in this world, especially with like the miniature train set and the fact that there's someone in there and all that. Like, I think that is all connected. I won't go as deeply into that, but I think... I think with this specific family, not all of them have necessarily always been family. I think what happens is that they they were different people when they were alive, like separate families. And then whenever they died, they kind of grew together as a family. Mm. Um, so similar to like Sonnenfeld's feel of feeling that you can accept anybody in because family is like a state of mind, that kind of thing. It's kind of like that, but that they are in some kind of very real physical purgatory. And uh, I think that's only heightened by the fact that they live next to like the judge uh, who's like there to torment them. Um, I think this is the real world, but their state of existence is a form of purgatory that they've learned to accept and actually thrive in. Um, And they kind of they know how to break the rules of the universe, essentially. Um, so that being said, my headcanon is that Christina Ricci as Wednesday is actually the afterlife incarnation of her character from Casper. And the idea is that it's similar to like Time Lord regenerations where you have some influence over who you are. Her best memories, her character in, in Casper, her best memories were when she was a little girl with Bill Pullman's character and just a, a little girl with her dad. And so naturally she would pick a form where she could be this intelligent, uh, intense, uh, creative little girl forever. And um, I think the name Wednesday is interesting, going back to like the 30s when they were originally designing these characters, that Wednesday is the furthest you can possibly be from a weekend. It's just kind of a really dismal day. Oh, man. I think in this headcanon, it could give a clue to be almost like the Solomon Grundy rhyme where maybe she died on a Wednesday or something like that. Wow. Um, so I, I think that it's kind of fun to see it through through those eyes. She also makes a comment 
whenever Fester asks Pugsley if he's never sorted anyone before, and Wednesday says he's only a child, which they appear to be similar ages on the outside, but I think if she knows that she actually like grew up, lived a life, and is now in a child's body, that may imply that Pugsley is actually a child who passed away as a child, while Wednesday has taken the form of a child, even though she had grown up uh, with her dad. So, um, yeah, just the idea that this family is the in-between. Um, I'd, I'd also love to see, like, the rest of Thing. Because um, I, I guess in my head, since it is a human hand in this version, there is a rest of that human somewhere. Um, and maybe that human is still living, but it's that the limb died. And so he is in, in the afterlife, you know what I mean? So it's kind of this weird dynamic that you could build all these rules around, um, that I just think are, are super interesting. Kind of like a phantom limb syndrome, but phantom limb, that'd be a great spinoff. Oh man. Pull him out of retirement. Christopher Hart in phantom limb. Uh, yeah, I, I just think there's there's so much you could do with it. Uh, side quick uh, notable mention headcanons. Uh, so the son of the lawyer couple um, who eventually break up because he he gets uh, coffined and uh, she ends up with cousin it. That son, the kid in the the elf hat. Yeah. Um, I believe was that. Uh, sorry, I was just saying. Yeah, sorry, I didn't oh, need yeah. to interrupt. <laughs> the kid in the elf hat. Uh, my headcanon is that he is the same character from the beginning of Jurassic Park. Uh, the actor is Whit Hertford, um, but I he's the big turkey kid in Jurassic yeah. Park. And um, he's like, I think it looks like a big turkey to me. Um, we And I think we know it's the same character and not just the same actor because people are always telling him how he's going to be eaten alive. Um, that's a very specific thing about this kid. People always threatening live cannibalism uh, slash devouring by raptors. Um, And then uh, another mini headcanon, Pugsley, I think, is Sid's father from Toy Story. Uh, Real quickly. Whoa. I mean, Sid is twisted. But if you view it from the lens of, like, he's an Adams, uh, because we know there's, like, lumpy Adams, long-arm Adams. There's a whole family of them. If Sid is just Sid Adams, then it makes a whole lot more sense. And you're kind of like, oh, he's not that bad, I guess. Um, What's even more fun is if Pugsley is Sid's father, that means that the baby face doll on the little crane system in Toy Story is the head of Aunt Wednesday's doll um, that he has repurposed for his own needs. Um, So, yeah, Sid's just misunderstood. Yeah, we're, we're looking from the outside. Soon to Disney Plus, <laughs> Disney the Plus. Adams family. You did it. Yeah. And finally, to bring it back to uh, to our own podcast family, uh, I and I don't have the actual history to back this up, but I think it's possible that Cousin It is actually part of Lurch's family, um, who they've accepted in, uh, which would mean that there would be a... Uh, a very hairy, tall, missing link in their family tree that is Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, man. Oh, Grayson, that's that's solid. 
So that is all the headcanon I can pack down the barrel of this episode. So wow. uh, I had I had fun pulling at those threads. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. I love that so much. All right. Now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recast and remakes. Recast. Remake. If this movie were to be remade today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? And... <laughs> Aren't we quite on time? They have. And animated-wise, I love the idea of it being animated. Yeah. That being said, I would just love to see Guillermo del Toro's uh, adaptation of the Adams Adams. Uh, um, that would be so good, though. That would be freaky. I, I, I don't know if this is allowed, but if him and Tim Burton just collaborated, they say, hey, listen, you and me, we get together. We make mm-hmm. this, and then it's like the, the idea of like one last heist. They they make this last film together, and they retire on top because I think it would be so bizarre. Because uh, there were talks before this uh, 3D animated version of the Adams Family was going to hit theaters that Tim Burton was in talks to do a claymation version, oh, like of a it. corpse bride, right? Type, of, yeah. Okay. So I think either um, live action. Guillermo de Toro or the claymation with uh, Tim Burton's direction or they both work together and they do kind of like a combination of both where basically mm-hmm. the Adamses are just all claymation and everyone else is just normal. Uh, but Why their desi- skin like that? <laughs> but their design is like uh, something that Guillermo de Toro would uh, envision and I just think that that would be just so far out there i think that would just be a ton of fun to see um uh, yeah that, i love that that or a netflix original um sure with uh basically just the entire voice cast cast as their um you know human counterparts from the new movie from the new movie got it you're right it's been made in so many different forms uh you know tv movie animated video game action figure and beyond, I mean, I'm going to keep it alive. I'm actually going as Pugsley Adams for Halloween this year. Nice. I got the shirt. I got the shorts. I'm ready. My wife is going to be Wednesday. Don't overthink it. And uh, yeah, we're going to keep it going that way. Um, but uh, I think instead of recasting each role, uh, which could take a while, I, I would love to see a, a recast of the director, kind of like you were saying with, uh, with Tim Burton, but I would love to see Wes Anderson's interpretation oh. of the Adams family. I'm thinking like Royal Tenenbaum's Halloween party. Yeah. Like, what does that look like? Um, because the world is already very stylized and kind of has like this sheen over it. And I think he would have that kind of handcrafted feel that would be pretty interesting. Um, and, but if there were actually was if there was one actor that I had to pick for a live remake, um, Uncle Fester must be played by Anthony Kerrigan or I walk. He is no ho Hank from Barry. Um, he was Victor Zaz in Gotham. Yes. Look up his work. He is perfect in every way for this role, and it's it's a crime that he's not being able to embody Uncle Fester on screen, because uh, I love Anthony Kerrigan. Um, I would consider it a personal victory if I ever got to meet him. He consistently makes me laugh, um, and he would be great in this role. Uh, 
but you're right. I think if they made it a, a Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus, HBO Max, CBS Access type series, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see it as a show that was done like the experiment uh, that Arrested Development did with season four where they follow each member of the family and it's like years later, present day for us. Nice. And it's kind of like where are they now uh, kind of thing. And so like throwing this out there, I think Gomez and Morticia, maybe like their marriage is collapsing, that the fire is fading and they got to rekindle it. Uh, I think Pugsley is probably a professional wrestler and Wednesday is a successful prison warden um, because, you know, Pugsley is always getting the chair and Wednesday's always giving him the chair um and then uh fester's working special effects in hollywood um he got you know just got discovered after that that kid's play yeah um and then i think granny probably has a food truck in portland and uh things things the massage therapist yes and uh cousin it has it pattern baldness and lurch uh, runs the house as a scare B&B. So I think if we follow each of them and how their stories intersect, uh, we are really primed for rebooting that third installment in the trilogy uh, to make it a true Adams Family reunion. Scare B&B. Grayson, buy that domain. I um, looked it up. It's already taken, but I thought of it before I looked it up, so I'm proud of that. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. It's and speaking of uh Adam's Family Reunion, which was the title of the third um Adam's Family live action movie in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, I did want to come up with a couple of other titles uh for the Adams Family franchise. Uh I think Adam's Family Feud would be really interesting. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um either it's them against like an ancient rival, um Adams's house or not even Adam's house. It's just like the Adams versus the Adams. Um, <laughs> I just want to see Steve Harvey in the Adams Family Feud movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. And the, or also um, Adams Family Ties. Um, mm-hmm. Similarly, you could do Ad- Adams Family Matters and connect it to the Winslowverse. And then also, lastly. Um, National Lampoon's Adam's Family Vacation, um, oh. I think, would be uh, oh very interesting. Yeah, I think you combine your ideas. You make it Adam's Family Feud, but it's the Adamses versus the Griswolds. Yes. Oh, it's perfect. The the crossover we've all been waiting for. Look, step aside, Universal's Dark Universe. We have a new franchise up for grabs. Yeah. But yeah, with with the family pun convention, you could go on ad nauseum with the the series where it's like Adam's Family Jewels, with the heist film, uh, Adam's Family Affair. Uh, maybe that's what you know breaks up the the family to prime them for the Adam's Family feud. Wow. Uh, yeah. Man. Uh, let us know what your Adam's Family title is gonna be. I gotta get writing. <laughs> Let us know on social media. We are at Flashback Flicks. Uh, yeah, I, I just I just love, like, because all of those sequel titles are just so perfect. Adam's Family mm-hmm. Values is an amazing sequel. And the Family Reunion, is, it's just all solid. I, I'm just really impressed that they never went with Adam's Family 2, 
Yeah. No, I respect it. Back. Ricky, we're still in recast and remake, right? Are we? Yeah, I think we are, which is great because I just have one more submission under the wire here. I don't know how I missed it. Uh, it was here the whole time. Lurch must be played by Vin Diesel because it's all about family. <laughs> I love it. I am Lurch. We are Adam's family. <laughs> what? I love it. Okay, now we're going to go into our final segment of the show where we give you our reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend the 1991 movie, The Adams Family? So, I recommend The Adams Family because even though these characters have gone through so many different versions of popular media, at their core, they've stayed consistent. Um, which I think is a testament just to the character design. The characters are fun, they're exciting, they're funny, they, uh, they really pop off the screen, and you, uh, you buy into their world. Um, a lot of the, the kind of conflict with the Adams family is them not fitting into the outside world, and at no point do I want them to fit into the outside world. Um, and I just think that's great that you can take an audience and, and turn their perspective so much to just immediately embrace um, the outsiderness of of what they are and celebrate it. Because um, ultimately, I, I think the Adams family holds up because it's a bizarro mirror of our own families, and, and says it, it doesn't matter how weird off or disjointed you and your family is you you belong uh and you are accepted here and i think that's really uh the attractive message of the adams family of because i think it's a great choice that the family members don't all look like each other you know what i mean and i, th I think that's part of it too they are a hodgepodge of different types and quirks and uh, what makes them tick is unique to them, but they belong together. Um, in a lot of ways, it, it, it felt like the family dynamic in uh, Shazam that came out, which I really appreciate how they represented that dynamic as well. Very similar. You belong here. You are part of this family. And I think uh, by, by really delivering that clearly in this film um but then still also having enough room to have the really funny lines and well-acted scenarios and the production value of it all just builds the world out uh that is all cherry on the top to this really satisfying uh message of you're part of the family and uh yeah i just i love this property so much um I'm like I said, I'm glad they're still making these movies, finding new ways for the next generation to experience the Adams family. I know when I have a family of my own, this is going to be uh, this is going to be on the shelf, not as a VHS and probably not an actual shelf, but they will watch this movie um, because I do hold it uh, very near and dear to my heart. That's very sweet, Grayson. I, I love that. I mean, because for me, the Adams Family is exactly what the, I'm assuming the British uh, VHS um, has on this cover. Weird is relative. Um, that was one of the taglines for the movie. 
because I feel like until you do start to like go to school and start seeing other people's families, you don't necessarily think your family is weird until like you see other people's families. Like I, I, I'll speak for myself. I didn't think that any of the like traditions or quirks that my family had were any different than anyone else. I was just like, oh, everyone does these different things. Uh, it wasn't even in, really until I got married that I started realizing how different my family was <laughs> from other people's families. Um, and not like bad, just different. And I think yeah. that the Adams family does a really good job at showing, you know, what that family just looks different. It's just a good time. And it really is uh, a family film. Uh, that really lets you know that it doesn't matter if you're creepy, kooky, spooky, or ooky. That no matter what you are, you are a family. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's nice. And that is our review of the 1991 movie, The Addams Family. Let us know what you remember about The Addams Family on our social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at flashback flicks it would also mean so much to us uh a a unknown cavern full of doubloons if you could leave us a, a rating and review <laughs> on your podcasting platform a choice uh recently found out that we are on way more podcast platforms than i even thought we we're even on the google podcast uh, oh. you know the google uh the google <laughs> so leave us a rating and review and uh on a scale of one to five things Hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah well yeah well it could be fingers have... on on thing it'd be yeah. because if it's one finger i think we know which one that oh, is yeah yeah but five is high five all right yeah and enough um uh phalanges to you know scurry about town and use morse to, code and whatnot jump a lily pad and <laughs> pull a pull a wagon of gloves yep uh yeah well, and Ricky, uh, we're gonna try something new, right? So oh, yes. we we are uh, for for four years now. We have chosen the movie uh, for better or worse based on stuff that's coming out, and we don't always get it right. And we feel like we really should just listen to what uh, what the audience wants. And so what we're gonna do is I think we're, we're each going to submit to you a movie that we feel ties into a big movie that's going to be coming out next week. So next week, we got Terminator Dark Fate coming out. Oh, yeah. Great. So from what I hear, Terminator Dark Fate basically overwrites everything after Judgment Day in the Terminator, in the Terminator franchise. So I submit to you uh, that we uh, should review... Terminator uh, Three: Rise of the Machines. Since this is that's basically what's being saved over with uh, Dark Fate. Ricky, what's your submission for for how we tackle this? So my submission to the Midnight Society is uh, <laughs> uh, the movie that will be making its way to Disney Plus, Inspector Gadget, because <laughs> uh, it is a Disney movie, uh, and largely because it is. Uh, human machine hybrid. So that's how we're going to do it. Uh, take to social media uh, at Flashback Flicks. Uh, we'll be having posts on there uh, during the week about this. But you're voting between Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and Inspector Gadget. Uh, man, either way, I feel like we win. 
Oh, yes. As long as the machines don't win. <laughs> Perfect. So leave your votes on social media and be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind.